Welcome to Spiro Avenue, and now your host, Justin Spiro. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I am Justin Spiro. Happy to be here today. Owning your baggage, that is the subject of today's opening statement. Accountability. It is a dying art today. You show up late for work, you blame the nasty traffic jam. Skipped your cousin's wedding, blame the death of some relative in Utah. May or may not exist. Say some nasty things to your wife, well, blame your overly demanding boss for doubling your shift. In life, it is always easier to detour around accountability. It's no different in the sports world. And sports fans, I would say, arguably, are perhaps the greatest example of this, or perhaps the worst. They just knew Greg Oden had creaky knees and was going to be a bust. They just knew Kevin Durant would be the better of the two. They knew at halftime of the Super Bowl that somehow, someway, the Atlanta Falcons would choke and the New England Patriots would rally to win. I still haven't found a single person who has predicted Alabama would beat Clemson for the national title. Everyone you talk to says they knew all along that Clemson was going to win, even though Alabama was the consensus favorite. Sports fans in general care more about being right than getting it right. And even when they are wrong, they will tell you every reason under the sun why their prediction or their assessment was so far off base. There's always some qualifier, some excuse. They were never just wrong. They were either right somehow or they were wrong, but it was 17 mitigating factors that was beyond their their knowledge or beyond their fault. This show is going to be different, and we will always strive to be different in a number of ways. But chief among them, we care about getting it right. We don't care about being right. And if and when we are wrong about anything, I will be the first one to rush to the microphone and correct the record. And I think that's important. I'm not going to tell you the seven reasons why I was right when I was wrong. Let's all get a little bit smarter. Okay, be willing to grow. Be willing to grow intellectually. So this brings us to the main topic of today, Michigan head basketball coach John Beeline. Now, when the Michigan Wolverines hired John Beeline in April of 2007, I was the first one to roll my eyes. He's a gimmick coach. He's a one-trick pony. His teams just jack up threes and pray to get hot every night. I was not a buyer of John Beeline's stock. And I'm here to tell you today that I was wrong. John Beeline took a program in the pits and drove them to the brink of a national title. Many feel, and I'm one one of those many that think this, that there was an erroneous call at the basket against Trey Burke And if that call had been assessed properly and just not called, Michigan probably wins that national championship over Louisville. And this is coming from a Spartan fan who hates watching Michigan succeed. This is a team that was in the pits and went that close, one bad call arguably away from a national championship. The Michigan basketball program has been very impressive in the decade since hiring Beeline, and it wasn't just that season. But the fans suddenly are growing restless. Many are clamoring for the program to move on from their head basketball coach. Now, I would caution you to be careful what you wish for. You just look at the resume of his predecessor. Tommy Amaker, in six seasons, won an average of 18 games and went to zero NCAA tournaments. Conversely, John Beeline, in 10 seasons, has won an average of 22 games, nearly 25 a year in the past six, the same sample size as Amaker's entire tenure, and has gone to seven NCAA tournaments. So... You look at the, you're looking at about a, almost 50% improvement over Amaker in the past six years, and you, you compare seven NCAA tournament appearances to none. 
Now, no one's going to argue, even the biggest beeline hater, that he's not better than Amaker. So I'm not making that straw man argument. But you have to look at your, where you're coming from. You have to keep your perspective. Where were you? Where are you now? And where could you be going tomorrow? Just look at last season. We don't have to even go back to the national championship game. Last season, just a few months ago, frankly, Michigan lost by one point to an eventual Final Four participant in Oregon. And that team themselves lost by one point in the Final Four to eventual champion North Carolina. The Oregon Ducks were a great team last year. Michigan lost by one point that close to an Elite Eight performance, or appearance, I should say. So you have to ask yourself, who's going to replace this guy? If you want John Beeline gone, is Michigan a big enough position to land a clear upgrade? Is that guy out there? And if he is out there, is he available? And if he's available, is he going to come to you? Three of the past five seasons, Michigan has gone on to at least the Sweet 16. That puts them in elite company with just a small handful of teams in the country. You can run down the list. It's fewer than 10, folks. You're an elite company making a a Sweet 16 or better three out of five years. It's not common, and you're not Duke, and you're not North Carolina, and neither is Michigan State for the record. I'm not coming at you by saying that. I think you're a very good second-tier program in Ann Arbor, and that's nothing to thumb your nose at. Three out of five is pretty impressive. So I'm here to tell you I could not have been more wrong about John Beeline. I insisted when he was hired that he would never sniff a Final Four and would make the tournament maybe once every three or four years at best. Couldn't have been more wrong. And you just looked at the tournament used to be a coveted achievement for Michigan basketball. Now anything less than a Sweet 16 is considered a disappointment. That's the new bar. And that bar being elevated is to John Beeline's credit. He's the guy that did it. So I I found that I like John Beeline more than most Michigan fans I know, which I find bizarre. I was wrong to doubt him 10 years ago. I believe I am right to believe in him today. And now for instant reaction, we welcome in former Michigan basketball player Anthony Wright who is probably in my top three or four Twitter files, I would say, at It's Ant Wright. That's Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. Now, Anthony came into the Michigan program the same year as John Beeline. Correct me if I'm wrong, 2007, 2008. Is that correct? Uh, 2006, 2007. Uh, I came in with Amaker, and I registered his year. So my first year actually playing was with uh, JB. Okay, so this is even better. So you can talk, uh, speak somewhat intelligently, I would say, on both of them. Even though you were redshirted, you were still in practice, right? I mean, that, that's how Yes and no. Yes and no. I say that because it's not fair for me to kind of you know, talk about how a- Amaker was or how he wasn't because I know he felt that he was on the hot seat. So what, so what I got isn't the same Amaker that you know, guys got three or four years prior. So... So that's not fair to me. That's not fair for for me to say this is how he was because people are gonna think, okay, if he was like like that, that's how he was for the six or seven years. When that's just not the case. Yeah, and that's a fair distinction. I, I think that's a good point. I mean, when you're you're coaching for your job or whatever walk of life, whether it's sports or otherwise, if you feel like you're gonna be fired any second and the the axe is hanging over your head. I mean, that's sort of an unreasonable expectation for him to be at a normal level of functioning. I, at the end of the day, you're human. You do the best you can. But uh, I would still say you can speak intelligently then on John Beeline's first year and how, I, I guess I'm just curious, was there any conscious effort from John Beeline to change the culture? Did he talk about we're doing things differently or this is what we're going to do that we didn't do before? Was there anything like that or was it just sort of unspoken? Not really. He kind of uh, just... Uh he kind of just introduced himself 
And we knew right, right off the bat we were dealing with a different monster, per se. Um, I remember like, like it was yesterday. Um, it was me, Javon Shepard, Deshaun Sims. We were in the weight room, you know, lifting, lifting hard, we thought. And then <laughs> he's my guy now, John Mahoney. Uh, he's now coaching at a prep school down in Florida. He was an assistant coach then. He comes in the weight room and goes off. We are trying to win a mother effing national championship. And you guys are in here doing this, 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 and that. You should have saw Javon Shepard's face like, who is this guy and what does he want from me? <laughs> it was so funny. And then, uh, and then like, you fast forward five or six years, and that's where they are. And, and that was, I think that changed my life personally from a – just from a business practice stamp standpoint, like you speak it into existence and you and you you do whatever it takes to reach your goal and nobody will get in front of you whatsoever. Is, what were guys in that program, John Bowen or anyone under him, was that something they openly talked about that we're trying to get to final fours, we're trying to compete for national championships? No, it was you know, it's it's not like they were like, you know, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. Our first goal was we always used to say NCAA after every single practice, you know, it was NCAA, defense, yeah, defense, yeah, defense, yeah. That's what we said after every single practice was just to get back to the tournament, you know. It's all about small bites. We couldn't just, you know, take over the country and get to the Final Four, compete for a national championship. You got to get to the actual tur- tournament first. And it was since when, like, 97, since that was, a, since that was even, a, even a thought um, so just getting back to the tournament was our main goal and then just go from there. So, you know, obviously you heard the opening monologue and I know you're very active with social media. You know, I, I think you're definitely one, one of the better follows on Twitter right now. I assume you hear what I hear. I mean, you're not as, I would say I'm not nearly as plugged in as you are with this issue, but what I hear from my friends that went to Michigan, some still there, and just from the Twitter mob is that Beeline can't recruit. Beeline needs to go. He's done a nice job, but it's time to move on to the next step. But where do you stand on your former coach? That's crap. I think I think the biggest thing is that Beeline recruits the right guys. Basketball isn't a game where you have to win on paper. You know what I mean? You don't need five-star guys are great. You know, people refer to well, Kentucky, all these one and dones. Yeah, so they've won seven straight national championships. They have seven straight final final fours. Really? No. That's just not the case. Um, and then, you know, guys just want one and duns. I'm like, look, one and duns are great. They're great players, but it's like a one year rental. And they could cripple your program, cripple it. Um, and he just gets the right guys. And I can see over the past five or six years, he's done a great job at adjusting the way he recruits and he's getting after better and better players. Not necessarily top 30 guys. But, you know, guys within the 50 to 100 range were very, very good. I think you make a good point. I Obviously, you know, I agree with you. You heard what I said in the opening statement. I, I don't understand where these fans are coming from and what they want. I think you do have to know where you came from. And I know you'll probably cringe at the comparison, and any Michigan fan might. But I see Michigan basketball's program similar to Michigan State's football program under Mark D'Antonio up until the last year. Throw the last year out. I'm not throwing that guy <laughs> that, that on you guys. So before this past year where you get a lot of the you know two- and three-star guys and you develop them and you go farther than anybody 
might have dreamed, but the difference is you guys came, I mean, within a hair of winning a national championship. Michigan State football can't even claim that. I, I think Beeline is firmly in that second tier of coaches. I think it's insane to want this guy gone, but I, I want to talk a little bit about this team, just your general projection, and what do you need to see to say John Beeline did a good job this year? I mean, what, Sweet 16, better? Where do they stand? Now, I've said this multiple times. I never talk about projections in the NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament without seeing the actual tournament bracket. Um, you just you just can't say oh it's final four or bust like no 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 you cannot you cannot do that this this is basketball this is basketball it's all about matchups I remember a few years ago Michigan just got um, they uh, tied with Ohio State and Michigan State to win the the Big Ten title right before the draft show I tweeted out please not Ohio and not Lehigh. Because those are going to be bad matchups for him, right? Who did Michigan get? He had Ohio that year. Who did Lehigh get? Uh, that was Duke, right? Yep. Was that the Duke year? Yep. Yep. 15-2? Yep. Yep. So Lehigh won that. Ohio won that. And people were, like, mad at me, like, yeah, but we just won the big t-. Okay, great. It's all about matchups. Ohio had very good players. Michigan was not overwhelmingly huge. They had Zach Novak at the four. You know, Jordan Morgan – my dude, he's like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, you know, they're not going out there with, like, a lineup from last year with, you know, DJ Wilson at 6'10", at the at the uh, 4, Moet 6'11", Duncan Robinson at 6'8", Irvin at 6'. That wasn't the case. They had four guys taller than half, half of that team. So um, the thing with this year is that um, I will say is that they lose their three core guys. Walton, he was the leader. Uh, JB gave him the basically the the uh, what do you call it? The Trey Burke leash. You do your thing, and we'll follow you. Then everybody else anchored into their role and did what they do. DJ Wilson was great on both ends. He was such an, an intangible glue guy. Irvin, as much as he struggled offensively towards the end of the year, he was that much better on defense. Uh, and they and they lose that. And that's going to be very hard to, to uh, replace. That team, that Michigan basketball team, at the end of last season, I thought was scary. I, I, I Going into the tournament, I thought they were really dangerous, could make a Final Four run. One thing goes the other way in that game against Oregon. I, I mean, they had so many chances to win that game. I like where he has the program. I don't care what anyone says. I, I, it's, it's fi- I find myself defending him to Michigan fans. Like, I, like I'm the Michigan fan, and they're the Spartan. It's like a role <laughs> reversal. I, look, when I, when I wrote this guy off 10 years ago, I like to consider myself an honest guy with the, the Michigan teams. When they hired Jim Harbaugh, you can go back in my Twitter history. I said he will win national championships, plural. Not one. I think he – and I still – I stand by it. I think Michigan football is going to win – two national championships, and then I think he'll probably go to the NFL. No offense. I mean, if that happens, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> but I, I'll transition a little bit. I, I'm curious for the more of a, a wider college issue, and this is something um, the, the guest that will be following you is uh, my friend Jack uh, Johnson, who was a Michigan hockey player, and uh, we've had this debate a 100 times, and we agree, but I'm curious for your opinion. I'll just get right to it. Should college athletes be paid? No. 
Tell me why. No, uh, I've read an article about this. And what's funny is that like 95% of the public don't realize that college athletes already get paid. They're, they receive stipends. They have, they have stipends. They get per diem. They get uh, like free food, free gear, free clothes, free tuition. Uh, you're not paying for much. The only people who are really screaming broke are the ones who take their who who take their two thousand dollar check and go buy a new chain. Uh, you know, guys go and get the Pell Grant, and that's like five grand a semester. And you know who exactly got that Pell Grant because you know who has the new twenty four inch rims, and you know who has the new True Religion jeans. So, yeah. so like that's how you knew somebody got got uh, paid. Oh, and I, I, I find it refreshing to hear this from a college athlete, a former college athlete, because I, I feel strongly about this. And it's not about uh, screw the little guy. Everyone wants to make it this argument about you don't care about the, you know, the poor college athlete. It's not that. I think it's actually a negative if you start paying these kids because for every Tim Tebow that's making arguably, I would say inarguably, millions of dollars for the Florida Gators, there's a thousand second string punters that are getting free room, free board that are not contributing. They're on the field. I mean, that are not raising any money for the program. They're not money makers, but they still have that ride. And you look, it's a myth that these programs are all making money hand over fist. Alabama football making a ton of money. Michigan State basketball making a ton of money. There's your exceptions. The vast majority, and Dan Wetzel has talked about this. It's something like 88 percent of major Division One. I'm not talk, even talking about D2 and D3. Major Division One programs are operating at a loss, and at a lot of these schools, the football team is propping up the entire athletic department. Right. So if you start paying these kids, you're going to lose the women's volleyball team, the men's soccer team. All these yep. programs are just going to fall. So you care, You say, oh, I care about the these poor college kids. What you're going to do is you're going to eliminate all these spots for them to get an education. And so you can say, oh, you know, some inner city kid from Chicago or whatever is going to lose his chance to get paid to play football somewhere. I get that. It's not that I don't care about that person, but there's also going to be 15 kids from an inner city or from wherever that are now going to have their opportunity at a further education and getting a degree free of charge that they couldn't otherwise afford revoked. So, I mean, that's been my biggest argument. And yeah, I, I do. I saw it firsthand what, what my friend got, got paid uh, in college. You know, I'm not talking about illegal. I'm talking about above board payment. Right. He was living in Ann Arbor for free. He had a nice check every month to pay for his food and whatnot. And I saw the, the few guys on that hockey team for Michigan that blew it. It was exactly what you said. That Not the rims necessarily, but they were, they were at the <laughs> bar uh, buying the entire you know, bar yeah. a shot, that kind of stuff. And yep. I, I, just, I just don't get that. So I think it's refreshing to hear that. But I will ask this, the one variation on it that I kind of wrestle with. Should you be able to sell your likeness? Likeness? An um, autograph, for example, autograph, likeness, picture. You should you be able to profit off that while still in college? I'll say I will say two things about that. I will say that with your likeness, you can, but that goes to into an account that you can't touch until you're 25 or 28, something like that. That's fine. Another thing is that if you want to pay these kids, you are going to open up a huge loophole. You're going to see guys like myself advisors, you're going to see attorneys, you're going to see CPAs, you're going to start seeing agents as well too work their way in there as well. You don't want to open up that way. You do not want to open up that hole 
where those types of professionals start weaseling themselves in. And what's going to happen during the recruiting pro uh, process? You have Northwestern, Indiana, Michigan. Northwestern has no chance against Michigan since Michigan can probably offer a kid twice as, twice as much. The Michigan quarterback's you know I mean? autograph is just worth more than exactly. the Northwestern quarterback. So exactly. that, that's why I wouldn't say definitely, because on the right. surface you would say, how do you deny someone's right to sell their autograph or a picture of themselves? I mean, it seems kind of kind of kind of a shitty thing to do, frankly. But <laughs> but you know, I I I don't want to open up Pandora's box. So it's it's not about it, it. Honestly, in my opinion, and where I stand, it's it is for the betterment of college athletes. It's no skin off my nose whether they get paid or not. But I I don't think it's good for the long term health. I get I get the argument. I don't think anyone that says that is stupid. I think their their heart's in the right place, but I don't think it makes sense long term. I think it's bad for the health of college athletics, frankly. But I just think whoever has that opinion where they're just like, they're like veins are popping out of the neck, got to pay these athletes. They're just the most uninformed people out there, and they have no clue, and they're complete puppets. Guys like Jay Billis, I get, I understand, but then Joe Blow wants to follow what Billis says just because. So... I don't like the fact that, you know, it's cool to have an opinion, but don't be a complete puppet. Do some research first on your own and then come to your own conclusion. And it's it's funny because the sample size is admittedly small, but you're the third college athlete I've spoken to directly about this. I've spoken to Drew McAllister, who was a safety for the USC Trojans, uh, played uh, quite a bit his junior and senior year, played under Lane Kiffin, and I was talking to him. He was at uh, actually Jack's wedding. They're good friends. And he said pretty much everything you said. I mean, the, the stipends they get are crazy. That He never felt hungry up there at, uh, at USC. So I, I just I don't get it. I, I don't think anyone that actually talks to, to most college athletes has this opinion. I don't think it's something that's shared by people that are informed. And I hate to say, oh, you just don't know if you disagree with me. But that's been my experience from a small sample size of now three. So thank you for adding to that pool. I feel All like right. and you, you've given me a third leg to stand on. I have a tripod for this argument now. <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess, so I, on the record, you d disagree with Jabril Preppers. I mean, that was a big, Jabril Preppers two years ago said that he can't eat. And uh, that's, I mean, that's a lie. That's not, he's hungry all the time. And that's, that's a lie. That's nonsense, right? That's I mean, a lie. the guy is, at the time was like, what, 220 and <laughs> <yeah>, basically <laughs> just a piece of metal. I mean, he's just, getting fed. Yeah. He's he doesn't, fed. he doesn't look like he's famished. Don't but, worry about it. He's getting fed. <laughs> well, I, I want to talk a little bit, you know, you, you brought up the, sort of seeping in of advisors and agents and people that can permeate that. I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I did my best to research you a little bit before. You went to the famed Oak Hill Academy for three years, is that correct? Three years, right. Three years. So, I mean, that uh, Carmel Anthony came out of there, if I'm not mistaken, right. I mean, some, some famous alumni. Right. What did you, what kind of stuff did you see there? Was there, that culture, was it pervasive where agents are hanging around, advisors, even family members trying to get in with people? I mean, what did you see? No, we were in the middle of nowhere. Um, the closest McDonald's was like 45 minutes away. Uh, we used to see the military, you know, test flying all these weird looking jets right over campus and stuff. So, um, Oak Hill is about 150 kids, uh, about 10 are there for basketball only. Everybody else is there for like a second chance. You know, kids go to, go to a court. It's like, okay, you either go to juvenile hall or you got to go to a school in the mountains. I just see. I didn't know that about Oak Hill. I thought it was like a. I knew the basketball component, obviously. I thought it was like a prep school. Yeah, so. it is a prep boardings Baptist yeah. school. Okay, but it's it's there mainly for the kids who need that help. Okay, 
So, and again, feel free to correct the record. You have played, I, I believe, with Ty Lawson. They play with me. They played with you. Okay, so <laughs> Ty Lawson's played with you. Kevin Durant has played with you. Is that? Uh, yeah, uh, I knew I knew Ty from when I was like 13. Okay. I knew Kevin since I was like 13 as well too because we're all from the same area. Uh, I'm from Virginia. They're from Maryland, but it's like D.C. It's like all this, the same place. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's like, like saying you're from Warren, then another guy's from like Rochester. It's like right there. Yeah, it's pretty much the same city and state and county for that matter. Right. So, I mean, you got to have like some kind of a Kevin Durant story, right? I kind of have to ask you. I mean, was he, I a, was a, he a cool guy? I have a lot of stories. What's I mean, your best Kevin Durant story? Best Kevin Durant story. Um, I, actually, I actually use this whenever I'm public speaking at like uh, – you know, like camps for like younger you know kids and everything or if I'm doing like a seminar about going to get it and you know get after it and get up and you know do what you need to do blah 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 but my favorite story is when I was uh, 14 15 years old uh, I was one of the best players in the country Ty and I were like one and two in the area and we were at a uh, we were at a Memorial Day Classic out in Indiana I believe Kevin was my backup's backup. Oh. So he got in when – who was that uh, walk-on from Michigan State who didn't have a name on his jersey? Oh, God. I don't even remember. You know what I'm talking I know, about? Though? I know the incident from you're talking past, about. Yeah, yeah everyone so, – he was getting taunted, and, I, God, I wish I could remember. I'm kind of blanking, but I know that, the incident. That was KD. Wow. Okay. So he didn't get in unless we were up by 40 or down by 40. Which was, you know. And you guys were, what, 14 at whatever. the time, you said? 13, 14? 14, 15. Wow. Because um, usually at that point, if you're going to be good, you're, I mean, you know. You're all good. depends. All yeah. depends. Anyways, so, so in between games, right, huge Nike tournament. There was an open court, so everybody's goofing off, you know, dunking and all this and shooting the ball and just hanging out. My mom is chilling, just, you know, watching us do our thing. She's probably reading the Bible or something. <laughs> and uh, some guy comes up to her and goes, hey, miss, who's that right there? Like, oh, that's my son. Uh, yeah, he has offered from Alabama. He has offered from Cincinnati. Um, yeah, that's him. That's Anthony right, right there. He's like, no, like, no, 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 no. I know him. Who is that kid right there? She's like, who, him? <laughs> yeah, one of the ten best players ever probably. Right, so, and so – and so she comes to me and goes, you know what that guy said over there? He said that, you know, Kevin's this and Kevin's that. Da, da. I was like, what? I'm Anthony Wright. Who is this guy? I'm the man. <laughs> da, 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 right. So um, I leave for school. I come back. Uh, we had AAU practice in Maryland. I walk in 20 minutes late. I don't care because I'm me. Right. Had my backpack on, had the. Socks with the slides on, walking bow-legged, looking up up in the air because yeah. I think I'm all that in a bag of chips. Um, all of a sudden, I see this this guy about 6'10", running the court, dunking from like 10 feet out, comes down, shot from 30. I'm like, I'm like, yo, who's that? <laughs> you didn't even recognize him. <laughs> didn't recognize him. Who's that? It's like, man, that sticks. It's like, no, it's not. Who's that? And then sure enough, he walked over like, what's up, man? I'm like. What's up? Yeah, that voice <laughs> dropped on an octave too. Uh, I was like, what's up? So, um, I'm sorry. Bef- a month before that, month before that, 
Um, this was uh, Rajon Rondo, Josh Smith's year at Oak Hill. We just went like 44-0, and uh, smashed everybody. We're on the bus from our last game. The head coach calls me up front, goes, hey, Ian, uh, I have a, a question for you. I'm like, okay, what? Uh, do you know a kid named uh, Kevin Durant? I was like, yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, what are you waiting for? To manage? To be a manager down here? I don't know what the deal the is. The towel boy for you. Yeah, or like play on the JV team or something. I don't know. So he goes, he goes I, I don't know, but he's at National Christian right now tearing it up. Rob Jackson, coach of the Blue Devils, was like, he called me and said, Kevin Durant is just doing this and that. I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to get Ty down here. Ty is the best point guard in the country. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. He's like, never heard of Taiwan, but this Kevin Durant. I'm like, look, he is terrible. <laughs> and then that's when I go back home, and then I see that, and then I call coach. I'm like, okay, okay, look, Kevin's pretty good. All right. Yeah. I mean, what else can you say <laughs> at that point? Kevin's pretty good. And then um, I moved on from the AAU team because I had no no place there anymore. So I went to an Adidas team down in Richmond. So. And that worked out very, very well for me. Would you would you say it was just a growth spurt? I mean, you only cited a change in height, basically. Was, was he, he lacking skill? He grew a foot. He grew. He grew. It felt like a foot, because he went from like an inch shorter than me to just, just amazing spurt. Yeah. But um, the skill was probably there, though. It was just he was so this tiny. The skill was there, but he was like 6'3", a buck 40. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be playing forward anywhere meaningful at right. that height. So. And then my mom would always call me and say, hey, I was talking to Wanda, Kevin, sleeping at the at the uh, church again. At the church yeah. is where the basketball court is. So um, whenever you grow that much, if you're, if you're still playing, you're still doing agility stuff, you don't feel it because you're doing it every day. Yep. You know what I mean? Did, so, so did you meet the real MVP? Is that – his mom? Did you ever meet Kevin Durant's mom? Come on, man. You know Kevin Durant's mom? Here is, tell, here, me that, tell me this story. Here is my best Wanda story, okay? So we had just got done playing uh, South Gwinnett, right? They had Mike Mercer. He went to Georgia. Avery Jukes, who went to Alabama. And uh, Lou Williams, who plays with uh, Houston now. He's with the. I think he got traded back to the Clippers. Oh, that's right. He's so with. He, sure yeah, right. Happening. He was in the Chris Paul trade. You're right. He's right. With the Clippers now. That's so right. and Lou. So at, man, they oh, they busted us up. They were they killed us, killed on like I think it was on like com on Comcast. But yeah, destroyed us. Right. So I knew Wanda from uh, from the time I was like 13, 14. But she's real, real cool. Real, real cool. Passionate. Always smiling, but anyways, she was not smiling today because KD <laughs> didn't play all that well. So me and my boy Bamba, Bamba's an African dude. He's probably like, he was like seven one, probably like two hundred pounds, right? So we're like walking out of the locker room. They had the the locker room in a different building than the actual court. Bamba and I are like walking back towards the court. And Wanda just walking like, like somebody stole something, mad. And she goes, Anthony, where is Kevin? <laughs> where is he? Where is Kevin? I'm like, he's in the locker room, right? And she storms past. And then Bamba, he doesn't know much English. 
But he goes, uh-oh, he in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, man, I hate to be him right now. Oh, man. But, yeah, he was uh, – that's that's like my favorite Wanda story. The way that she stormed up, asked where he was, and then boom. And usually I like drama, so I would have followed her. But I was like, you know what? Not today. I, the one thing Not I was – to close on Durant, my last point, I, I – I found him to be sort of a hypersensitive guy. Uh, you know, he's he had a great deal there in Oklahoma City. I don't blame him for leaving, but he lashed out at the media a couple of times, the media that I thought had treated him with kid gloves, and uh, he's been known. He yelled at me once at a Pistons game last year uh, for what I thought was a pretty innocuous comment about his bench press at his uh, pro day, but uh, neither here nor there. Oh, he could never lift. The bar his junior year, I'll never forget. He had the bar, maybe like a five on each side. Yeah. And he was like struggling like he was maxing out 300 pounds. That was really He has no upper body strength. I went to the Pistons-Warriors game this past season, and I asked him. The Warriors just handed it to the Pistons in the fourth quarter. It was close, close. They pulled away one by like 15 or whatever. And I I said, uh, hey, KD, can you do one bench press rep yet? And he got in my face, stood up to, uh, right in my face, and uh, I'm not going to say everything he said because we try to be somewat kid-friendly here, but a few <laughs> MFers, and he said, uh, no, I can't do a bench press, but I got them deep pockets. And he was going into like his shorts as if he had pockets in his shorts. <laughs> and he goes, uh, how much do you make? And I'm like, not as much as you, man. <laughs> like, if we're getting into a, a checkbook contest, I, I'll wave the white flag right now. But I just find him to be a sensitive guy. I, that's just my comment on him. I mean, I don't know if he was a sensitive kid, too. He's very self-conscious. Yeah, he he's seems He's very that way. self-conscious, um, which isn't a – he's very self-conscious and he's very self-aware. He hears a lot of things. And he really abs- absorbs it all. He takes it personally. I mean, yeah, that, did does. you see the Peyton Manning thing last night at oh, the Oh, man. When I saw his face, I was like, I've seen that yeah, face Yeah, well, and people said it was, some people said it was contrived that he was in on it. I don't think so. I no, think that not was at a, all. No, that's no, a genuine No, that was 100% reaction. genuine. 100% yeah. genuine. His mom thought it was funny. Uh, yeah, she was laughing a little bit. But, no, nah, that... It triggered him a little bit. If I were him, what do you have to prove? I mean, let people have their fun. You're Kevin Durant. You're, you're going <laughs> to yeah. go down as the, maybe the eighth best player ever. It could, could be even higher. I don't know. Who cares? He's but. the second best small small forward all time right now. Yeah, you could definitely make that argument. And I, I think he's he has a chance to get into that Mount Rushmore territory. I mean, he, what he did in the postseason, which is unbelievable. He's so efficient. And he, he's a seven-foot guard. Yeah, basically. I mean, he can pass, shoot, dribble. There's nothing you really can't do. Nah. Uh, I, I've just, I'm a big fan of his despite – uh, his his mean comments to me at the the Pistons Warriors <laughs> game, which I guess I was the, the original perpetrator. But uh, we're gonna let you get out of here. I do have one last question for you, just in general. You deal with a lot of Spartan trolls. You and I have a, a shared favorite target, uh, Ryan McCumber uh, at Spartan Ryan. Cucumber. Yeah, cucumber is <laughs> I think we both call him. You know, he he made a, a number of runs at you a few months ago, I believe, ended up banned for a month uh, for I was they call you uppity? Is that uh, pardon my said, repeating of the phrase, but he said uh, he said something about uppity, but that was like uh, that was a while ago. And he's he kept coming at me and after a while he realized that he wasn't gonna win that battle. Uh a lot of Spartan guys, I think uh, there's another one, too. He has, like, a really huge head. I forget his name. Uh, Figuratively or literally? Like, literally. Like, oh, okay. No, like, he has, like, a Peyton Manning-sized head. Like, I I forget his name. But, um, you know, he's trying to come at me and all this stuff. But they just quit. And then, all of a sudden, more Michigan State people follow me on Twitter and realize I'm not some hater. You know what I mean? 
I mean, yes, I could, you know, say some things to, you know, dig at you a little bit, but I dig at Michigan fans as well, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're and, a fair guy. Right. Um, 100% a realist. Um, I, I just I just try to be as as fair as possible, like you said. So those trolls don't bother you is basically what no, I'm trying to No, they're actually yeah. funny. I think they're, they're funny. funny because yeah. they, like, they say things and then they don't realize I'm an intelligent guy. You can't just say something and just assume that because I'm going to get you to mess up, and once you mess up, it's over. Yeah, and so. and you jumped right down that guy. And I, we were talking a little bit to the side about it, too, just how bad that went for the guy. And he ended up, he, he came at you. He ended up banned for a, a month from Twitter. I just uh, I think the scoreboard was pretty clear on that. But I, I hate the, the Spartan fans that look at, you know, oh, you went to Michigan or you're a Michigan fan. I'm going to disagree with everything you say. Nothing you say has any validity. That's something I fight in my own fan base. The journalists in this town have been crucified for pursuing the Michigan State sexual assault issues that we've been mired in for close to a year now. Right. So I, I just hate that stuff. So I, I just, you know, in closing, thank you for being a rational fan that can look at things, you know, evenly. And you have your allegiances, and that's great. I think everybody does. But I think you do a really good job at analyzing things from an honest perspective. So uh, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Thank try. you for that. And thank you so much for joining us. I know you have a lovely wife and, and young daughter to get home to, so we're going to let you go. Uh, sit tight with us, people. We are going to get uh, Jack Johnson, former Michigan hockey player, on the line uh, just a moment. But in the meantime, I encourage you to follow Anthony Wright. It's at It's Ant Wright on Twitter. He is definitely one of the best out there. So, again, got thank you. a Jack you. Johnson story, 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 too. Did you know that? You do? Yeah, I got a Jack Johnson story. Oh, come on, man. Time out. (laughs) Well, the basketball guys don't hang out with the hockey guys. Uh Okay. All right, this is like the sequel to the interview. I got to hear this. I didn't know this. Jack Johnson story. So Jack is a real cool uh, guy. We had an English class, right? English class. And I've been a fan ever since. All right, so I had a class with Carl Haglin, like 8 a.m. psych. Um, I had this class with uh, Jack. He had just something happened with the with the Kings. He got traded or something, yeah. or his like rights got traded. Yeah. While he was still at Michigan. Yep. And he was in class the next day, and as he walks in, I'm like, "Why the heck is? Why are you here?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking like, "Why are you here?" And then like after class, everybody leaves, and then I'm I'm like chopping it up with the uh, professor and. He looks at me and goes, man, that Jack Johnson kid, man, I'm going to root for him. He didn't have to come today. And he was here. He was participating. He, like, felt really, like, he felt really, you know, honored that Jack Johnson wanted to come to English class after he just had a deal done, like, the previous day or that morning. I forget. But he was in class. Uh, that's so. that's a really cool story, and I'm not surprised. I mean, that's the guy I've known for years. Uh I was in a. I was driving to a Chicago Blackhawks Detroit Red Wings playoff game years ago, and uh, got into a car accident on the freeway. And I, my fam, my entire family was out of town, like in Florida or something. Can't remember. And so he was my first call. And uh, he goes, "All right, where you at?" Like just no, like hey, you idiot, or just like all right, wh- where you at? And he drove from Ann Arbor to Chicago, which is not a short drive, and right. it just no questions asked. He's just he's a really dutiful guy. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I didn't know there was any like kind of overlap there oh, with you no. guys. So that's. That's kind of that's kind of a riot. So, 
No problem. We are really done this time, Jed. So uh, <laughs> thank you for doing a great job with us, Anthony, and answering our questions. I'd love to have you back, honestly. I hope I didn't scare you away. Um, Hit me up whenever, man. Yeah, I, I'd love to have you back when you know the basketball season gets rolling. Uh, it's kind of a down period now, but you are, you're a great guest. Thanks so much for joining us. For sure. So it's at It's Ant Wright on Twitter. Highly recommend you go follow him. We're going to take a quick second here to get Jack Johnson on the line to do his interview. It is a very Michigan Wolverine day on Spiro Avenue. Thank you so much to Anthony. All right, we are back here with our second University of Michigan guest of the day. It is an honor to have my good friend of, what is it now, 15 years or so, Jack Johnson, former University of Michigan hockey player, the highest drafted Michigan hockey player in the history of the program at third overall in 2005 current defenseman for the Columbus Blue Jackets and also a silver medalist in the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. Jack Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me on. So we have so many things to tackle. I want to, I think the top news of the day that you could speak to, and it's been sort of the, the big thing really at Michigan that I can gather now with the hockey program is the coaching transition you were a, a product of Red Berenson there during your two years at the University of Michigan. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on Red's legacy and uh, maybe the transition away from Red going forward? Yeah, for sure. I mean, man, I, I could probably ramble on about this forever, so I get going too long, stop me. But uh, it, it's, it, it really is a, an, an end of an era. Uh, you know, when you go back for alumni weekends like I've been doing year after year, it's you know, there's so many people there that have been influenced by Red and um, that, that have played for him. For you know, you go back, uh, how long was he there? Thirty-five years or something like that. Yeah, about and, thirty-five. Uh, he came in uh, eighty-four, eighty-five, I believe. So right. So I mean, you got all these classes of guys that have played for him, and we all had endless, you know, Red stories and uh, you know moments where guys they're usually all fairly similar you know one of the guys screwed up and you got the famous look from red and you didn't have to say anything you just knew you're in trouble and uh but he he really made the michigan hockey program uh single-handedly i know when he took over uh the program was really down uh and he he came in i mean he was he's a guy that's done it all you know he he played in the nhl he was one of the top players in the league i think he still has tied for the record for most goals in the game um, you know, he was an all-star, you know, Team Canada. And then he was the NHL coach, coach of the year. Uh, so he took over a down program and made it what it is today. And he really made it a, a, a Michigan hockey family now. You know, I mean, guys go back and it's, it really is a family and everyone cares about the program. And uh, we all knew that time was coming, but he just seemed like a guy that was going to do it forever. And, uh you know, now it's time came. It's uh, it's kind of hard to believe, even though everyone knew it was coming. Um, but I, you know, on, on a positive note, uh, personally, I, I'm really happy that uh, that Mel is taking it over. A, a guy that uh, was there for so long with Red uh, knows what the program's about, knows what the school is about, the tradition, uh, the ins and outs of it, and I, I think he's going to do a fantastic job. He did a great job at Michigan Tech. Um, you know, funny story, I actually ran into him. He, he had Michigan Tech. They were going down to play Alabama Huntsville, and they detoured in Nashville. And I was coming off the ice at a pregame skate, and I hear uh, out of the stands, I hear, hey, Johnson. And I turn around, and it was Mel Pearson. And, yeah, I, I hadn't seen him in years. 
uh, got to catch up with him a little bit, and I just remember telling him, I said, hey, you know, whenever that time comes, I'm, I'm really hoping that you get to take it over. And, you know, he said to me, he said, well, I, I hope so too. And, uh, so I, I always had high hopes that he was going to be the guy. And uh, even though I'm, I'm, you know, really sad to see Red not there and uh, running the program, I, I couldn't think of a better fit to, to keep it going and keep the legacy going. Do you think Pearson was the first choice for, it sounds like he was your first choice to replace Red. Do you think he was the first choice for the Michigan Athletic Department to replace those big Red Berenson shoes? Yeah, I mean, I mean, whoever was coming in, you know, I don't think anybody was looking to fill Red's shoes. It was just to, you know, let's just keep keep the program going uh, the way that he made it and the way he's kind of set the tone for it. But, yeah, I, I do. To answer your question, I think um, – I, I think that the Michigan Athletic Department, uh, I, I think, respects Red enough and, and knows what he's doing uh, enough that uh, they probably let him pick his, his successor, and I think he was Red's first choice. Um, you know, I, I, I know that uh, I've, word is that Mel turned down the Michigan Tech job several times uh, to stay at Michigan, and, uh, you know, the story we always got is that Coach Berenson told him to go because, you know, go get a head job, do it, and come back. And I, I think everyone was anticipating that that's exactly what what was going to happen. So I think it was, uh, um, I don't know about the, the athletic department, but I think it was Red's first choice. You're, you're, um, whether, whether that's true or not, I don't know. He, he's the only one that can answer that. Well, yeah, as long as you're happy, I guess. I mean, you, you can speak <laughs> intelligently about your stance anyway. So I, I'm yeah. curious, you know, sort of a mundane question, but this was thrown out there by one of my buddies that wanted me to ask you, your favorite road arena to play in college and in pro, uh, not not the city, but just specifically the building. What can you say about those two? Yeah, you know what? Uh, in, in college, um, I'm assuming this is besides Yost Arena because I, I, I to, to this day, uh, Yost Arena was my most fun, my favorite place to ever play. Uh, a college hockey game, but I'm assuming your, your question is a road arena. Yes. Right? Yep. On the road. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, I mean, I could easily give you my top three, but I don't know if I could narrow it down to one. I mean, I, I would have to say uh, Mariucci up in Minnesota, the Cole Center in Madison, and Mun Arena in East Lansing, and all because of uh, number one rivalries and number two traditions of the program. You know, you come out and the bands are playing. They're traditional powerhouses, and it, it's just—it's a great, it's a classic college hockey. You know, whether it's Michigan, Michigan State, Michigan, Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, it really doesn't get any better than that. Um, you know, to, to, to just see the—you know—the the colors of the uniforms. Uh, like I said, you know, the, the bands there, the fight songs, uh, the student sections. You know, all of it. To, to me, it was whenever you got, you know, the the biggest names in college hockey together, that was my favorite time. So for for the pro question, I mean, do you have an arena that you really like going to? Yeah, actually, that that one's easier than college just because I feel like there's there's so many different atmospheres in college. But uh, for me, it's Madison Square Garden, no question. I just think it's so cool when you're, when you're coming out of the locker room, uh, you're walking down the hallway and you see the pictures of everyone that's performed there, everyone from Elvis Presley to Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, biggest fights 
you know, in the boxing matches in the world, uh, artists, everyone, you name it, they, they've been there. And you're walking down the hallway, seeing all these pictures. It's kind of an older arena, a little bit run down, but, I mean, you're, you're in New York City, uh, most famous arena in the world, and you're going out to play a hockey game. It's like, there's, there's not a better stage in the world. Uh, so I, I've always loved going out there to, to play at Madison Square Garden. Usually, you know, the, the locker room's not great, the ice isn't great, but it's the garden, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's just such a long list of people that have performed there, athletes and entertainers. It really is It's just an incredible venue. I'm dying to go there. It's like a bucket list thing for me. Maybe I'll go see you play this year. But uh, <laughs> I, And I'm excited <laughs> for I'm excited for Little Caesars Arena. I mean, that's the, hopefully that'll be your new favorite road arena um, pretty soon. But uh, it, it should be spectacular. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I anticipate. I mean, all, all the new arenas, it's like they're all trying to outdo each other, which is great from a player's perspective or, or a fan's, really, for that matter, because – you just go into these, you know, more and more magnificent, luxurious arenas. I mean, the one they just built up in Edmonton is phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I used to hate going up there because you go to that old dungy arena and bad locker rooms and everything, and now you go up there and it's just this gorgeous arena there. It's like, oh, all right, I'm going to Edmonton. Well, I'm uh, Oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, but I was just saying, I mean, it pretty much started back, I mean, all the arenas from uh, the 2000 expansion, like, uh, Minnesota Wild have a phenomenal arena. That's, that's a beautiful arena to go to. One of, one of my favorite arenas on the road. Uh, here at Nationwide Arena, I think we've got as nice of, of an arena as you're going to find anywhere in the country. And uh, it's, I mean, every arena is getting nicer and nicer. And uh, one of the things I really love about our arena here is we, we've got the practice arena attached to the main arena. So, you know, if by some chance there's a concert going on or uh, a lot of times they host March Madness here and, uh, you know, we're not going to you know some local arena where you got to put on your half gear, squeeze into your car, and drive over there. We just come out of our locker room and instead of making a left, we make a right. So it's pretty convenient. Yeah, and I believe that's Detroit setup too. We did for this podcast today, and you know, I told you it's all Michigan pretty much. We had a former Michigan basketball player on, now obviously a former Michigan hockey player. I did a little promotion. I wanted to get some feedback from the audience, have them. Tell me what questions they wanted to ask of you or Anthony. And we, what we did is we picked the best one, and this was from our producer picking it. And this is from a, a guy named uh, Junkyard Dog 13 I don't know if that's his legal name, but because he was picked with this question, I so. uh, I, that'd be an awesome legal name. But <laughs> be, because, because he was picked by our producer for this uh, question, he has won a pair of tickets to see the game in Ann Arbor, Michigan versus Ohio State. So this is his question, not mine, but I'm also curious for the answer as a Spartan. He wants to know, what was the nastiest confrontation on the ice that you ever had with Michigan State? With Michigan State, okay. Because uh, you were a rough-and-tumble guy. I mean, you, you, you had yeah. – I, I think you, like, put a guy in the hospital at one point. I, I mean, you, you, have, you have a track record with Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not necessarily one to aspire to, but uh, – no, I, I, that's kind of an easy one. It's probably is that one arena. Um, it's kind of funny. Reds involved in the story a little bit too. So, so I was a freshman. It was my first game at Michigan State, and uh, I think we, we were down three to two. I think it was, it was one of those games where, you know, throughout the game you're like, man, we should be winning this game, but it's just just not just not one of our nights. So we're down three to two, and we're getting ready to pull the goalie. And I'm all like I'm all fired up and ready to go, and Coach Berenson comes over. You know, keep in mind I'm a freshman, so like 
you know, whatever one of the upper class or the coaches tell me to do, like, I'm, you know, I'm like, like Forrest Gump, right? Like, I'm just doing what I'm told. So <laughs> Coach Berenson comes over. The goalie comes to the bench. He grabs me behind the, like, I'm almost like the, like you get uh, collared, like in football. Like, so he grabs me behind the shoulder pads. He goes, get out there. And he, like, throws me over the board. So I come shot out of the cannon over the boards. And there's a Michigan State player who has the puck directly across the ice from the bench. And it's probably the fastest I've ever skated in my life to this day. And I catch him. He's still, he's still got the puck. And he passes it. And, I've, I mean, I don't even know if I was within a legal second or not. But I was coming, and there's no way I was stopping. And just crushed him. And I had another Michigan player coming in almost at the exact same time. And he was a smaller guy. And so there's two Michigan guys coming in on him. And I was going a 1,000 miles an hour uh, just because I was all hyped up as a freshman and the coach told me to get out there. And uh, they blow the whistle. I'm skating around. And immediately I'm like, all right, I just I got, I got a pretty good talent here. I don't know how bad it's going to be. I go to the box. And I won't look up because I don't want to look at Coach Parrison. <laughs> I'm sure he's disgusted with me at this point. And uh, one of my good friends, Danny Fardig, was already in the box. So I sit down, and uh, ref comes over, and he's like, hey, you're out of the game. And I wouldn't leave because they threw me out for, like, targeting the head. But he was just – I wasn't targeting the head. He was just he was a smaller player, and I caught him in the head. But uh, ref tells me to leave, and I'm like, no, I'm good here. And because uh, I didn't want to skate across the ice, see Coach Barris. No, so that's why you resisted arrest. I didn't realize the avoiding red was the reason you you put up such a fight. Oh, yeah, there. yeah, I didn't want to go across the ice to the bench. So finally, like all three refs came over and like you have to leave. All right, why? Well, I, I I guess I can't just stay here. So I go across the ice and when I left and when I went off the ice. Luckily, you could go directly off the ice from where the door was, and I just put my head down straight off. <laughs> And never, never, never looked up at the coaches. Well, I'm sure you saw red at some point in the next year and a half. I mean, was that ever addressed? No, no, it was never really addressed. He gave me a look after the game. That's all it was the famous red look. It was about all that was needed. You had uh, never, never did that again. Yeah, you had a much friendlier interaction with uh, a Michigan State figure. Uh, back in 07 when Mark D'Antonio was still very, maybe beginning of 08, Mark D'Antonio was still very fresh on campus, and I had a fundraiser at my place up in East Lansing to benefit Arthur Ray, a recruit that had come down with bone cancer before he even played it down for Michigan State. And Can, can you tell your, your interaction with Mark D'Antonio at that event? I think it's a, a pretty interesting story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you'll you have to help me if I left anything out here. But I remember coming to your event. It was at your, uh, your apartment there in East Lansing. And, uh, coincidentally, I got in the elevator in the lobby uh, with uh, Coach D'Antonio there, and I looked over, and I was like, I don't like, I, uh, you know, I, mean, I mean, I would call myself a casual college football fan. Like, I'm a, I'm a you know, true, true American. I'm a casual football fan. So, uh, you know, I get in the elevator, and I see him, and I was like, hey, Coach, how you doing? And, you know, I introduced myself. I was like, I'm Justin's friend, Jack. I think we're going to the same place. Uh, you know, small talk up there. And then um, I, I didn't let him know that I was a, I was a Michigan guy. <laughs> I figured I'd leave that out. Yeah, especially with so, him. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, especially in East Lansing. You know, I mean, I'm in his territory. Right. So uh, just just being cordial. And uh, we get up and, cat, you know, cat's out of the bag you know, later on and, uh, during your fundraiser. and comes up and asks me, you know, so how come you went uh, went to Michigan? And uh, just kind of joking around, I did tell him, I said, well, 
full disclosure, uh, I was actually brought into uh, the coaches' offices at Michigan State first by John Michael Lyles and Brad Fast, two great Spartan hockey players, uh, who I, I knew pretty well because John Michael Lyles was actually uh, um, a, a hockey school instructor of mine when I was young. And John Michael Lyles was, was pushing for me to go there. And I went into the coaches offices there and they just said, uh, you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on you. And a couple of weeks later I was in uh, uh, Michigan's offices and uh, they offered me a full scholarship on the spot. And that's how I ended up in Michigan. Yeah. And you said uh, you, you may have, you may have signed, you were that um, sort of agree- agreeable to signing <laughs> well, just with JM Wiles there. And... Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was a 14 year old kid and I, I mean, I, I always wanted to go to Michigan. Um, I, I didn't know if I would ever be. I mean, to, I mean, I've told you this numerous times before. I, as a young kid, I, I always wanted to play college hockey, and I always wanted to go to Michigan, but I never knew if I'd even be good enough to do it. So, uh, you know, if a school, you know, program like Michigan State was going to offer me, I, I don't know if I would have turned it down because, you know, why? Why would you? Um, but uh, you know, they actually had the first crack at me. It's incredible. Uh, in their offices and uh, let me go. And it's just, D'Antonio was so upset when he heard that story, too. I remember you, you told him the story, and he looks to me and he goes, where was he taken in the draft again? And I said, uh, third overall. Like, third overall, not third round, third overall, first round pick. Yeah. He just looks at me, looks at the ground, shakes his head and goes, what were they doing? Like, why <laughs> let you walk out the door? Like, well, he just, he was so incredible. He was, he was legitimately disgusted. I mean, it wasn't like a... You know, a social just putting out a show. He was actually bothered by the fact that that happened. I think the fact that you went to Michigan specifically over Michigan yeah. State. I think that uh, he just hates Michigan so much, and that came through in that uh, really that whole event. I mean, he he can't even help himself. It seeps through his pores. Um, you know, you yeah. said you said you've always wanted to play uh, for Michigan, and that was, I mean, growing up with you, that was really what I saw too. I mean, you had all the Michigan gear, and I never saw you wear green and white, at least that, that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, no, no, my 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 heart was always there, and I mean, yeah. as, as as a little kid too. I mean, I mean, people would laugh now, but I tell them the truth. I mean, I I fell in the, I fell in love with the stuff that uh, you would only fall in love with as a little kid. I mean, like I loved the the winged helmet, I loved the hail to the victors, you know, all that stuff. That you know, those are the things that I thought were so cool as a little kid, and especially as a hockey player. Michigan was the first team to ever. In the, I, I think maybe in the history of hockey to ever put anything on their helmet. You know, I mean, everyone had the, you know, just solid black or solid white or solid red. You know, Michigan comes out with the winged helmet, and I was, just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I still do, really. Uh, but, uh, you know, those were the things that really, as a, as a youngster, drew me to Michigan. You know, everyone has their, their things, but... Uh, I mean, like my my uncle, uh, you know, my dad and uncle played uh, played at Michigan State, so there was definitely a Michigan State pull. But you know, then I'm on my mom's side, and you know, we had a big Michigan pull. So uh, you know, it was just those little things that drew me to, uh, to to Michigan and dreaming of playing there. But I didn't know if I'd ever be good enough to play college hockey. And you've never been like one of those psychos that just hates Michigan State. I mean, we have like we make a, a bet every year on the, the football game between Michigan and Michigan State where the stakes are a Zingerman sandwich, which is more valuable than any amount of money, frankly. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're not a nut. And I, I am curious, though, you know, the family you married into is basically, basically athletes galore. I mean, you, you married into a family where you have a brother-in-law 
that went to Notre Dame and was a star football player there, Brady Quinn. Uh, and you have another brother-in-law who was a star football player at Ohio State, uh, A.J. Hawk. Really, I mean, Ohio State and, and Notre Dame are the two schools that at least you're supposed to hate the most from what I've heard, and you seem to hate the most growing up. Is that ever weird? I mean, when you guys are, like, are at the barbecue, like, I mean, is there trash talk there between Brady, A.J., and yeah. Jack? How does, that, how does that dynamic work? Yeah, you, you know what? It's so funny. I mean, I, I try to stay out of it because, I mean, let's be honest, those rivalries are based around football, right? And, and I didn't play football. So whenever they come, whenever the Michigan Barb comes out, I just say, "Hey guys, it's a hockey school." Yeah, but, <laughs> it's uh, a hockey school, right? <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean to, to be honest, uh, Brady and I made a bet once on the Notre Dame Michigan game, uh, and it was just uh, loser had to wear the other school's T-shirt and you know take a picture of it, and you know we put it on each, you know whoever Instagram account, and uh, AJ and I uh, have really never said a word about it. We've never given a jab or anything about that. Uh, I don't know if the other two have either. Um, we, we all there's a there's a huge amount of respect I think for each other's schools because at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I mean, everyone picks the side of the rivalry, but you know, without the other school, there's no rivalry. You know, I mean, uh, in, in the Michigan Ohio State you know game, you know, it's, you know, considered the greatest rivalry in sports. What's the rivalry if one school's down, you know, or stinks, or is gone. Just not as fun. You know, I mean, yeah, you you need the other school. So you know, it's same thing with Michigan, Michigan State. I mean, when, when I was playing hockey, you know, we wanted every time we played, you know, we wanted to be number one versus number two. Obviously, we wanted to be number one, but you know, that that's what you need. And uh, yeah, I, I think some people lose track of that, but I, I think there's also a different perspective. Uh, number one, being the athletes that were in the game. Uh, you know, it, it, and those two actually played against each other. So, <laughs> you know, in in college, you like know, in a bowl game a, too, right? Yeah, yeah, they actually played against each other. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, th- I think there's just a great deal of respect, especially for what you know each guy has accomplished. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Brady, could, you could uh, make. A, I mean, he, he was he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, several years, I believe, won the Maxwell. Uh, yeah, Maxwell uh, uh, probably considered uh, statistically the greatest quarterback in Notre Dame history. I mean, you're, you're talking about the most—I mean, probably the most storied college football program ever. Uh, you know, and, and, and AJ, one of, you know, one of the best linebackers to ever play at Ohio State, played for you know Packers for ten years, played in the NFL for I think twelve years, and was all pro won a Super Bowl and you know, so I think there's just a great deal amount of respect for what each guy's done that there's no uh there's not the kind of jabbing you'd get at the tailgates, I guess is what I'm saying, and it's never really brought up. We've asked each other about our experiences and about the schools and like, you know, did you have this or did you guys do this? Uh but it's a it's a pretty interesting dynamic. Uh you know, I'd 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 get in trouble if I didn't mention the other aspect too, like Brady's uh Brady's wife was, uh, I think, the most decorated uh, U.S. gymnast of all time. She went to Brown, uh, Alicia, and uh, my wife Kelly was an All-American at the uh, University of Virginia for soccer. So it's a, uh, it's it's a really uh, dynamic uh, dinner table when all the athletes are around. Well, and it's always very awkward for me. I mean, the, the you look at the wedding picture of you guys. You guys uh, had your ceremony in Bluefield Hills, and it, it's like athlete, 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 and 
bumbly old Justin Spiro. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> it, I don't know. It's like, which one of these is not like the other. It was like three or four NHL guys, a couple NFL guys, like, you know, your brother, who's going to be a, a D1 college athlete, I believe at Michigan here coming up shortly. And, and then it's, it's me. So, I mean, thanks for, I guess, keeping me around. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad Brady uh, doesn't pick on you at all with the, the school stuff. But the first time I met him, I told him, you know, I was a Spartan and, uh, you know, that was my background, a big Michigan State fan. And he was kind of giving me a little crap saying that uh, his his time showing up in East Lansing in 2006, that game in the rain when they came back in the fourth quarter and won, that uh, the Michigan State fans were mooning him uh, coming off the bus. And he has hated Michigan State ever since. So uh, that's that's pretty much typical of Spartans. I couldn't even really rebut that because I don't doubt that that happened. And those rowdy East Lansing people are a little bit nuts. But um, it is uh, it, it is an incredible barbecue uh, whenever you guys all get together. I'll say that it's a lot of uh, a lot of really toned biceps and, and then me. So that's that's always nice. Um, you know, you said Jack that you grew up always wanting to play for Michigan, and obviously we grew up big Red Wings fans. I know you can't you know say on the air that you're you want to play for the Red Wings, but uh, I, I would just say uh, I'm going to make my recruiting pitch that I would lo- I'd love to have you home, and that new arena does look very nice. So. If it doesn't work out in Columbus, uh, you know they. I'm sure they have a stall for you in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I am anxious to uh, to, to see that in new, new arena this year. You know, it's it's funny because you mentioned we grew up Red Wings fans. It's, it, it's kind of like Red going. I'm, I'm I'm sad to see, you know, the Joe gone. Even though it's definitely overdue. You know, we just had those those childhood memories of going to Wings games. So. You know, when I was going this year, even though you walk in and the first thing you smell is like, you know, old beer and peanuts, you know, like stale beer and peanuts, it's still like, oh, it's Joe. You know, there's just something about it that just has a soft spot in your heart. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, I've, I've always kind of had a soft spot for the Red Wings just because, I mean, every guy that grows up in their, you know, whatever hometown and hometown team they had, uh, it's always special and cool whether you're playing against them or watching them. You're like, yeah, it's a team I grew up watching. And I, I think we're very fortunate, uh, uh, somewhat spoiled, that during the time we grew up, uh, you know, the Red Wings were really in their in their, in their prime and their heyday, and uh, you know, all the way up until you know, uh, obviously just last year, first year not making the playoffs. So, uh, but you know, us getting to grow up and watching. You know Sergei Fedorov and you know Larry Onov, and Blitzer, and the list goes on and on and on. You know you, you, your boy Dominic Hasek. Uh, you know we got spoiled as kids growing up watching the Red Wings. Uh, no question. But, uh, yeah, but uh, I mean I'm no different than any any other guy. My hometown team uh, has a soft spot. Yeah, it, it's an incredible organization. I, I am curious though for your opinion because you know you talk to guys in the league. You have a lot of friends in the league. The perception of the Red Wings for years, I mean, when we were young kids, way before your career and well into your career, has been that they were sort of the the New York Yankees of hockey, and they were the class organization. I know, uh, I think it was Sports Illustrated listed them the number one pro team in in the country, and it was like 2003 or so, uh, based on a number of metrics. Has that perception changed at all just in the last year or two with the team barely sneaking into the playoffs two years ago, missing it entirely this past season? Is the league, you know, sort of guys you talk to, you don't have to name anybody, but what's the perception? Is it down a little bit? Um, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's really down because when, when you're talking about, uh, you know, kind of like who are the best organizations in the league, that doesn't always equate to just wins and losses. 
uh, you know, when you're asking guys like who, you know, did you like playing here? Did you like playing there? It's really about, you know, how were the players taken care of? How were the families taken care of? You know, how how were your, how was your wife taken care of? Uh, you know, how was the traveling? How was the food on the road? You know, I mean, like st- stuff like that uh, is is what players take into account. It's not always wins and losses. So just because they didn't make the playoffs this year, they didn't go from, you know, the the the, the the bar of the NHL to, you know, down to middle of the pack. It's, um, I'm sure that they're still running things the same way. Uh, you know, every guy that I've talked to, I've actually, it's funny because, you know, we've been talking about this, uh, you know, kind of the Michigan, Michigan State thing. Uh, one of the guys I've grown close to over the years is uh, Justin Advocator, and uh, he obviously loves it. I mean, he, he's, uh, you know, a Michigan guy grow, you know, growing up uh, being a Spartan and then playing for the Red Wings. You know, I mean, how cool is that? But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, just raved about it. He's never played anywhere else. Uh, you know, he, all, all he's known is, uh, you know, Sports Illustrated, number one organization in the league. And, and when you ask him about things, it's those little things that, that make it so great. Um, you know, so, you know, other teams, for whatever reason, uh, struggle with those things, I don't, you know, for, for whatever reason. But there are other great organizations out there. I mean, I've, I've heard great things about the – the Montreal Canadiens, uh, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you know, uh, New York Rangers, uh, you know, all, you know, all those teams. Uh, but, you know, again, a lot of those teams have been around, you know, we're talking about original six teams here. So there is a pattern, but, uh, um, you know, a lot of the teams are trying to take notice of those teams and, and, and copy them. And then, you know, those original six teams are trying to up the ante because, uh, you know, just like college, you know, there is a little bit of recruiting that has to go on on July 1st. Uh, you know, you can't fly them in for an official visit, but, uh, you know, word travels around the league pretty quick on, you know, which organizations are the ones that, you know, you're going to love, your family's going to love, and, uh, you know, where where you'd like to play, you know, if guys have, uh, you know, contracts coming up and free agencies. You've you know you've spent years of your career playing top pairing tight minutes, and what happens when you are in that situation is you are usually paired up against the other team's top line. And I mean, I've seen this for years with you. I've seen you uh, have the Ovechkin assignment, the Crosby assignment. Uh, I'm specifically going to ask you about the Red Wings, uh, the Zetterberg versus Statsuk thing. It's been a thing with some of my friends here, a lot of Red Wing fans. Uh, which one was better? There's a lot of kind of Team Zetterberg, Team Datsuk. You played against both of them. You had to cover them, I believe, both multiple times. Who do you think was the tougher cover for you as a defenseman? Oh man, that's uh, yeah. This is it's kind of a loaded question, but uh, you know, so, um, you know, they're, they're very different. I think. Uh, I mean, one on one, I I don't think there was a better guy in the league than Datsuk. I mean, I think that the, the two toughest guys to play in my career, one on one. Uh, was was Alex Kovalev and Pavel Datsyuk. Uh, I, I think those are the two most skilled guys I'd ever seen. Uh, they're both you know strong. Uh, Kovalev had I think had a little bit more uh, just natural physical gifts just because he was so much bigger. Uh, but uh, you know Datsyuk just had the ability to, to make you look dumb, and uh, you know no professional athlete wants to look silly. Uh, you know having said that. Uh, I, I always loved how Zetterberg would ramp his game up as, as playoffs went on, and you know, like when I was when we were in college, uh, we got to watch the Red Wings in the playoffs. You know, he Zetterberg has you know Conn Smythe performances, and 
uh, it just seemed that every year, uh, as as the year went on, Zetterberg just kept getting better and better. And then in the playoffs, he's he's just a gamer. Uh, so I, I was always personally on a you know growing up a team Zetterberg guy. If, if you're flat out asking me, and I'm not trying not to be one of these guys that dodges questions. Uh, you know, so so if you're giving me one or the other, I guess I'd have to take Team Zetterberg. Uh, even though Dotsuk is that guy that brings you out of your seat, uh, I mean, he, he's spectacular and he does things that uh, even as another guy in the league, I'm sitting there going, how, how did he do that? Um, I remember but, there was uh, a game, not to interrupt you, but there was a game at the yeah. Joe where I think you'll remember the play because we've talked about it before. You were uh, at the blue line. Are uh, coming across the line, and you were trying to, you know, dump the puck in down low, I, I believe. And Datsuk was like twenty feet away and just knocked the puck out of, you know, maybe three or four feet high in the air, knocked it down, and then took the the play in the other direction at your net. And it, there was no goal resulting from it. But I remember when it happened, you kind of rolled your eyes and were like, "Oh my! Like, are you kidding me?" It was kind of like Apollo Creed rolling his eyes when Rocky <laughs> Balboa got up uh, in the fifteenth round. Like, how? What is it? Our fourteenth round? What is this guy doing? It's just. I mean, he was just yeah, such a yeah. spectacular guy. You remember the play, I think, right? Oh, God, yeah. I, th- I think it was my rookie year. And, I, and I mean, I'll bet you every guy in the league has, has a Dotsuk story similar to that. Uh, my, mine actually ended up being fairly harmless. Uh, yeah, no, they didn't <laughs> score, but the play yeah, went the other way. other guys that have some pretty bad ones. But, uh, it wasn't even uh, a bad no, play I, by you. It wasn't like you just gave it to him. You, you, it was like, you yeah. know, four feet in the air, and the guy just, like, knocked it down and went just like it was nothing. I mean, he was so gifted. Oh, yeah. Just unbelievable guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he. I mean, he was so talented. I mean, I, I, I remember several times when he was playing. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be coming around the, my own net with the puck, and and I knew it was Dotsu chasing me, <laughs> and I would you know slowly see a stick creeping up, and I could see it by my feet, and I'm just like, oh, like you know, quick, get rid of it. <laughs> oh yeah. You, know, you know, pick your pocket, and you're the last guy back, and he turns around, and it's just him with the goalie. And, you know what a horrible feeling that would be. But he was that one guy that was like. Excuse me. This guy would come up from behind me and just take it, and it's like he's the only guy that could do it. And you know, everyone tries to do it, but you know, for some, you know, some reason, nobody could do it quite like him. One of the the most popular players uh, on the wings right now, and my personal favorite is Andreas Athanasiu. I know you've played against him a handful of times. You talk about flashy with Datsuk. I mean, this guy is, is as flashy as they come. Can you just, I mean, this is maybe a pet question that I care about more than maybe even some of the audience, but I'm just curious for your thoughts. What is it like playing against that guy? Where do you see his career? I mean, is he, is he as tough of a cover as he looks? Uh, yeah, I mean, speed kills, right? He, he's got a ton of it. Uh, he, he's not afraid to challenge you one-on-one. I mean, you get a guy flying at you that, uh, that, that's willing to try something or make a move. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he really challenges you to play defense. Um, I think he's going to be a good player there for a long time. I think he's he's going to be an even better player than some people think. I I think he's a, he's really good, and I know when he's on the ice, uh, you know, I keep an eye out for him just because when when you have that kind of speed, uh, I mean, you can really create things uh, even without beating somebody. You just you you force defensemen that uh, you know maybe aren't as confident in their skating ability. You really force them to back off and. Uh, you know, just creating that extra five, ten feet of separation. Uh, you know, even if he doesn't have to beat somebody, it gives him that extra couple seconds to find somebody who's open. That, you know, somebody who doesn't have that speed wouldn't have. You know, as a defenseman, you could close them out. And uh, you know, but guys like that, you always got to know when they're on the ice and try to anticipate plays, thinking like, okay, if somebody sends one this way, you know, 
in, am I in a, in, in a good enough position or do I trust my skating ability enough that if we get in a foot race, I'm going to be fine here. Uh, you know, there, there's not a ton of those guys in the league, but uh, you definitely know who they are when you're out against them. Uh, I want to ask you uh, about another player, too, and I think you, you know Sidney Crosby pretty well and uh, obviously one of your good friends in the league. And, you know, I'm not one of those guys that, that hates Sid. I, I, don't, I don't get that. I, you know, he's has this reputation as a whiner. He's a very polarizing guy. A lot of fans outside of Pittsburgh don't like him as a guy. No one would question his, his ability as a player. He's sort of beyond reproach. I mean, when you hear this criticism, I'm sure you do of him as a as a person. Does that bother you? And and do you think the criticism is fair? Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't bother me uh, just because I know him and I know that it doesn't bother him. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I don't, I don't I don't think he's real worried about it. But uh, no, I mean, I, knowing him as a person, I mean, he's a he, he's a very uh, I mean, I don't think I'm giving anyone any any real you know breaking news insight here, but he he's obviously an ultra competitive guy, right? Like you don't get to where he's been or be as good as he is without being you know that competitive. But he's I mean he's very he's got some emotion to him, you know. I mean he's uh, he's fiery. Uh, I mean he'll fight back. He's not a guy that's just gonna you know take hits and you know take have extra liberties taken on him. He's gonna come back at you. And, um, you know I think people take his yelling at the refs or, you know, giving it to a ref when he thinks that a ref's, you know, not giving him a call that should be made uh, in a whiny way. It's more of him just kind of, you know, wearing his heart on his sleeve. Uh, you know, I, I think he's, he's, you know, probably uh, not had to do that as much as he's gotten older just because guys just don't take extra liberties on him. I mean, playoffs get nasty, but, um, you know, I, I think it's more of just him wearing his heart on his sleeve. He's an emotional guy. He wants to win. And, uh, you know, if, if yelling at somebody is, you know, blow some steam off his chest, then so be it. But that's really more of what he's doing. It's not as much whining. Uh, you know, I, usually when he, people see him talking to a ref or yelling at a ref, it's, it's probably more of him giving it to a ref than whining to a ref, uh, you know, if that makes sense, which, you know, I do believe that there is a difference. Oh, yeah, of course. And you're in the heat of the moment as a competitor. I mean, you, you don't even have to be a pro athlete. There's guys that, you know, scream at the, right. the YMCA referee in their rec game. I mean, it's, you know, that's just part of uh, especially the male nature. But um, I, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll let you go. I do have one more question for you in closing. I just want to uh, hit on a little bit about the NHL and uh, the perception of the league as you know, maybe a little bit lagging behind with uh, popularity from where it was in the peak when we were growing up in the 90s and is there anything you think that Gary Bettman can do, the league can do to market the game better? Is there any sort of engagement that they, they can do to in, increase it? Because, frankly, I think the game is so much better, and it is, of course, a subjective opinion, but it's so much better than the NBA, which is at its peak of popularity. Is there is there anything that you would do if you were commissioner? Oh, boy, you know, that's a tough question because I, I think I would need a lot of thought on that. And, uh, I don't know if, if, I, if I have enough time to really think about that. I mean, the, the one question that, that's always brought up uh, amongst players, though, uh, which I guess I could kind of tie into this, is how could we grow the game? Uh, but, you know, they're talking more in terms of how can we get more kids playing hockey. Uh, but, but I guess in return that would, uh, you know, lead to more people watching games because if your kid's playing hockey, he wants to watch the game and, you know, so on and so forth. You know, you got to take your kid to the game. you got to buy him a jersey. you got to, you know, buy him some popcorn and you know, all those things, and you you, you pack more buildings but um yeah i think one of the biggest problems with, with hockey and i i don't have a have a solution for it um 
is being able to, to grow the game, and the biggest problem with it is the cost to play. Uh, you know, in, in order to you know play basketball, you need a hoop and a ball. Uh, you know, you, you don't need to go out and find ice time. Uh, you don't need to go out and buy equipment. Um, you don't need to travel for games. Uh, you know, here in Columbus, uh, you know, we got the AAA Blue Jackets uh, youth program, which uh, when they want to go up and play competition, uh, you know, they got to travel to Detroit. You got to hop in the car and drive three hours, uh, you know, to go play probably the closest competition or drive to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, that, that's time consuming. And, you know, not every family, uh, you know, unfortunately can, can afford to do that. I mean, you go into a pro shop now and you want to buy your kid top of the line skates, it's like five, six hundred dollars. It's outrageous. Uh, you know, or sticks, you know, sticks are almost $200 a pop. Uh, you know, that's really the reason why the game doesn't grow is the expense to play it. Uh, you know, how, how to solve that. I really don't know. Um, but that in my opinion is, uh, is probably the biggest problem that, that, that hockey faces, um, in terms of growing the game. And, and I, and I, I hope that if they figure that out, that will then lead to more popularity because, if the kids are into it, usually the family's into it. I agree. And a good answer, Jack. It is a tough issue. I don't think they're not trying to fix it. Uh, it is such a great game and unfortunately cost prohibitive for a lot of families. But hopefully, you know, they get a little more traction there and gain in popularity because it is such a great game. But uh, we, we will look for that. And, and I just I know how busy you are, Jack. Your wife is about eight and a half months pregnant with uh, your, your first son. So second yeah. child overall. So I'm going to let you get back to your family. I, I appreciate you giving us as much time as you have. Uh, it was great talking to you. I hope to get you back on at some point, maybe during the season. I know you'll be even busier, but uh, maybe we can yeah, carve no, out I'd some time you. then. So great. Thank you so much, Jack. Uh, that was Jack Johnson of the University of Michigan hockey fame and also the Columbus Blue Jackets currently. Uh, we thank him so much for joining us. And uh, that will conclude this episode of the Spiro Avenue podcast. As always, we will thank our producer, Jed Schilling, for being here and being terrific. We will probably be back with you next Monday. Uh, we will post an update on Twitter and the website shortly on that. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. <laughs>